The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell, he went with Danny Baker. So you silly disco songs of reading Melody Baker, I'm seeing that a dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Ildiko Otova. Ildiko holds a PhD in political science from New Bulgarian University and is a laureate of the Moser Scholarship for Excellence in Political Science and Civil Courage. She teaches European migration policy at Sofia University and is a researcher in various national and international projects on migration and refugee issues, integration and citizenship. This year, with Evelina Stajkova, she published the book Migration and Populism in Bulgaria with Routledge. Welcome to the podcast, Ildiko. Thank you, Cass. Thank you for the invitation. So, first of all, what was the first sports team you ever supported? Well, uh, I'm not sure it's the best start for our conversation and I may disappoint you guys, but um, I'm not really a sport person uh, and um, I never really supported a team. So I guess I can't answer this question. Okay. So the second question that should go better, what is your favorite political song? Okay, this is an easier one. And I'll choose Bella Ciao. I'm coming from a family deeply related with the anti-fascist resistance in Bulgaria during the war. So um, it's, a, let's say, a normal choice for uh, someone still related with anti-fascist resistance. Absolutely. And finally, what's your favorite political book? Well, here it's a little bit more complicated because choosing just one book, it's not easy. So maybe not my favorite for all times, but I'll give you a title of a book really influenced me last years, especially working on my own research. And this is Politics of Fear of, of Ruth Wodak. Yeah, which is a brilliant book. So let's start with a little bit of background. Bulgaria was a communist country until 1989 and has since democratized, joined the EU, joined NATO. It's also an Orthodox Christian country that has relatively close cultural ties to Russia. What is the ethnic and religious makeup of the country today? Yes, right. Bulgaria is an uh, Orthodox country with close cultural ties to Russia. Although I would say that the anti-Russian and pro-Russian political cleavage is a stable one from centuries and even nowadays. So about the ethnic and religious makeup of the country today, Turks are the second largest ethnic group after Bulgarians, around 10% of the total population. And what I need to say is that Turks are not migrants, so it's not a new community. There are no newcomers in the state. They are living in the country for centuries as uh, being descendants of the Turks settled here during the Ottoman conquest of the Balkans. Bulgaria was, let's say, part of the Ottoman Empire for centuries. And of course, other ethnic groups are Roma, Roma people, Armenians, Jews. And also, if I come back to migration issues, of course, Russian and people from the former URSS are still the biggest migrant group in the state. 
and a very, very small Arab, Middle East and Central Asia community. I mean, people from, from, uh, from Syria or Afghanistan. As during the communist period, Bulgaria had a contract with so-called developing states for student exchange. And some of these people settled in the country or came back after the democratic changes. But let's say my immigrants in the country are no more than 2% of the total population. So nativism predates the post-communist period. In what way did the Bulgarian Communist Party advance a nativist agenda? And how can we see the legacy of that in the post-communist period? Yes, I would say this is one of the darkest pages of our history, of the Bulgarian history. So in the 80s, certain circles within the Communist Party started a process known as the so-called revival process aiming to totally integrate Turkish minority into the dominant Bulgarian or Slavic culture. So it's a process of total acculturation, if you want. So the first step of the process was the known change of the names of the Turkish minority. And this first started in the winter months of 84, 85. And around a million Turkish citizens were forced to change their names. Of course, in a secret operation and all attempts for resistance were violently stopped. So the process continued by other strict measures like the Turkish language was forbidden for use in public spaces. So this whole process during the 80s, the last stage was spring months of 89, few months before the collapse of the regime when several protests organized by Turkish leaders commenced and certain circles in the Communist Party decided they need kind of a final solution of the, of the so-called Turkish problem. So one night, all the state television at the period knows that the Turks, Bulgarians converted to Islam, as they used to say, willing to leave the country will be issued passports. So as you can imagine, in a closed communist society, leaving the state was a privilege for the people close to the party. So this was kind of invitation, let's say, for those people to leave the state. So during this, I would say, forced migration, even ethnic leasing of the Communist Party, around 350,000 people left Bulgaria. So it's an, an example of really forced migration. And unfortunately, it's not a closed page. No one is found guilty for this crime. Some of those people returned to Bulgaria afterwards. So what is the legacy? The Bulgarian Communist Party became the Bulgarian Socialist Party. Yeah. Do they still have nativist aspects? Sure. In the first years after the democratic changes, some of those circles behind the revival process continued to gravitate around the socialist or the former communist party. And we can see even today some of them in the socialist party, because I would say the socialist party is still one of the main producers of nationalistic kind of discourse. And here I'm speaking mainly about anti-Istanbul convention or as they call it, gender ideology. So, yeah, the legacy of the revival process and those nativist circles in the communist part are still alive. But on the other hand, also in the first years after the democratic changes, another pre-communist traditions, far-right or fascist traditions, emerged and gravitated more around the newly established democratic forces. 
So there are many different nationalist traditions in Bulgaria, which also divide the Bulgarian far right. Some focus primarily on the Turkish issue, some primarily on the Roma issue, some primarily on the Macedonia issue. Can you give a short overview of the different trends within the Bulgarian far right? Sure. Well, I'm not sure that these issues divide the Bulgarian far right. I would even say that there are more or less consensual topics, because what is really dividing Bulgarian far right are more conjunctional questions related to the current political process. But you're right that those are the major sources of nationalist discourses. And I would say not only for the far right, but also, unfortunately, for a larger scale of political authors. So Turkish and Macedonian issues are deeply rooted in the Bulgarian history and are related even with the nation-building processes back in the history. So they are source of more kind of ethno-nationalism. Roma question, on the other hand, I would say is a source of a kind of welfare nationalism. But both types are well exploited by a whole spectrum of political actors. For example, VMRO, an organization established like more century ago, typically a traditionary related with the Macedonian question. But apart from the Macedonian question, among the main producer of anti-Roma discourse, so also paradoxically, the Socialist Party even frenetically defends the so-called Bulgarian interest in Macedonia. So I would say it's very difficult to use this thematic approach to structure Bulgarian political scene. Right. I'm find more interesting, and in, in my personal opinion, it's interesting in the Bulgarian case, it's the process of politicization of certain issues without a real political debate and without a variety of opinion and interpretation interpretations and this process of normalization of extremist discourses by the mainstream. Can you give some examples of that? Of course, migration is maybe the best example, especially during the so-called refugee crisis, because the refugee policies were among the best developed in Bulgaria, best institutionalized, if you want. But because of some lack of planning or other institutional setbacks, the situation of 2015-16 found Bulgaria completely unprepared for the new situation. And the topic was very quickly politicized and became a major political issue. But what is What's interesting is that one hardly can make a difference in the way the situation is interpreted by different political actors. So this discourse for a replacement of the dominant Christian culture by a Muslim one, invasion of mass waves of migrants, which is completely untrue. Because after the first few months, really high numbers of applications, the numbers very quickly normalized. Because, of course, Bulgaria is still a transit country, not the final destination for the migrants. But what we really have is not a crisis of numbers, but exactly a crisis of a narrative of the way migration is perceived by political actors and the media. So this mixture of ethno-nationalism and welfare nationalism was produced by actors from the whole spectrum of the political scene. So that's why I'm speaking right. about politicization without political debate. And that is a very common development during that period within the whole region, where pretty much from the radical left to the radical right, there was a very strong nativist and Islamophobic discourse. How has the so-called refugee crisis changed Bulgarian politics? 
I'm not sure that the migration crisis really changed Bulgarian politics. I think migration is just an example for a deeper crisis. It's kind of a latmus for the deeper crisis within the Bulgarian society. What is that crisis? There are several moments related to this crisis. The first one is maybe the formation of the party system in the first years of democratic transition, the exclusion of these transition cleavages, so the former communist and the pro-democratic forces at the end of the 90s. And this new wave of populism started, let's say, around 2000, 2001. And this replacement of party politics with kind of a symbolic politics in the recent years. So the second one is connected to the way the market economy was built in the country with the merging of economy and the state, the disintegration of the welfare system and this growing distance between citizens and institutions. So migration was just a wetmos for this deeper crisis of the Bulgarian society. And last year showed us exactly this situation. Right. And last year, Bulgaria set what must be a new record by holding <laughs> yeah. free, free parliamentary elections in one year, in April, in July, and in November. What is the source of this, even by post-communist, if you want to still use that term, standards? Like, this volatility is remarkable. Yes. So after, let's say, I think 12 years with Gerpin power, of course, in, in different coalitions and configurations and protests last summer, Bulgaria had several national elections, parliamentary and presidential. And the situation gave birth to several new political actors. Uh, like there is a, such a people party founded by a folk music star and a TV show host. And this is a typical example for this correlation between media and populism. Other example is the we continue the change. Even the names are quite populist, <laughs> as you can see. So we continue the change is a political project, even not a party. So if they are even not registered as a party. But they're the leading factor in the newly formed government. And they're formed by our young returnees with Harvard diploma. So insisting on this fact, because as I told you, migration is a good example to explain different processes in Bulgaria. But how does it relate here? Okay, Bulgaria is still predominantly an emigration country. And here we are also in this idea of, of the narrative, of the way the situation is told to the citizens and the way they perceived it. Because the mass emigration, which is how a fact is deep, and traumatically experienced by the Bulgarian nation. Bulgarians have this idea of being a dying nation. So having these young, well-educated returnees somehow gives hope to the populations still in the country that change is possible, that change will come with this younger generation, well-educated abroad, but the people who came back to the state with the idea to reconstruct it. And this is, of course, course, a typical populist discourse because this political project came in power with an agenda like zero corruption, let's regain the state from the mafiosi. So if I put it simple, the poor people against the corrupted elite. Now, you spoke about the emigration. 
What is roughly the percentage of Bulgarians that has emigrated in the wake of EU membership? Because we're talking here particularly about intra-European emigration. And in what way does that feature in the discussion about immigration, right? Because this is one of the things that's often said about the hypocrisy of countries like Hungary, like Poland, like Bulgaria, which have these massive numbers of immigrants that go to other European countries and then are so harshly against any immigrants coming from non-European countries. Yes, it's completely true. So I can't give you exact numbers because it's very hard to have them. The estimates are between a million and two million and a half. Out of a population of how of many? Around, let's say, seven million here I'm also speaking not really about the numbers, but about the narrative, about the emigration, how it's perceived. But let me just give you the structure of the emigration. Of course, in the first year after the democratic changes in the 90s, emigration was mainly related to this new freedom to travel, this new freedom to choose where to live, this transition from a closed to an open society. And this is also true for the years after the EU membership and this mobility within the union. And there is also an important point here related to the mobility and formation of a new kind of citizenship kind of transnational one citizenship beyond the geographical locations on the national borders. Because last three elections showed us that Bulgarians abroad vote massively, but really massively. And the two political projects that I told you about are a good example for this. There is such a people and we continue the change gained also thanks to the Bulgarians voting abroad. But there is also, of course, structural factors for the emigration, such as the high unemployment rate, the risk of poverty, the unworking social systems. And this is kind of a dequalifying labor migration or well-qualified migration. There are many families in the state relying on the remittances from the migrants abroad. So in, in some way, Bulgarian economies relies on remittances. You have already indicated some sources of populism. What is the role of populism within Bulgarian party politics? Is there a clear divide between some kind of populist upstarts and the mainstream? Is there something static or do you all the time have different types of populist party? And do you have different forms of populism or is it by and large just the same type of political entrepreneurs using a generic kind of everyone is corrupt, we're going to save this? There are several waves of populism. The first one around 2001 with the former king, the son of the last king before the communist regime, became prime minister after that forming a political party known as NDSV. So this was the first wave of more or less populist but not nativist type of political actors. Then GERP came in power, and this is maybe the second wave of populism. In the first years, more like anti-elite type of populist discourse. In the recent years, being in coalition with Vemero and a smaller coalition of nationalist parties, very, very much adapting to this more nativist kind of populism, or as they state, conservatism, if you want. And now we are in the third wave of populist projects, as already mentioned, 
projects of there is such a people and we continue the change. As for the far right or more nativist kind of populist parties, they're quite stable in the last decades after 2000, 2001. And by stable, I don't mean that they're always the same because there is a high level of volatility, but they're constantly presented somehow in the parliament. For example, the latest one is Vazrajdane, a pro-Russian far-right party, but in the last month gained support thanks to anti-vaccination rhetoric. So you have, I think it's about 10%, right, that is far right and that comes in different parties. And then you have this block, which has changed, as you said, in three different waves of kind of mainstream, generally a bit center-right type of populism, which is generally quite pro-European, right? And in terms of its foreign policy, doesn't seem to be much out of step with mainstream parties in other countries. You're right. These center-right populist parties or projects, they're more or less pro-European. We continue the change. is a good example. They are really pro-European, pro-NATO project. In the last weeks, they're even speaking to open the doors for Macedonia. So in general, yes, they are pro-European. But I guess it's typical for the Balkans and Balkan political actors, but they very often have kind of a double discourse. One pro-European in Brussels and one adapted to the needs of the Bulgarian public, more, let's say, nativist, nationalist, more right. more simple in a way. Right, one in English and one in Bulgarian. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> What is the state of populism outside of party politics, for example, in the media, perhaps expressions in music, in football stadiums? Is populism permeating through Bulgarian society or is it mostly an elite project to win votes? No, no. The role of media is very important, even in this process of normalization of populism. And here I'm referring both to traditional, but also to the new media of Facebook. This is the most important social media for the Bulgarians, not Twitter, but Facebook. But also, I can add to these other types of, let's say, power holders, like intellectuals or other public figures. And they're playing a crucial role in this production, especially of nativist, nationalist kind of discourse. It's very visible, especially visible with regards to migration, where there is an extremely good example of media debate, TV debate in a morning show between an intellectual close to the left part and a rightist one and invited to debate about migration. But finally, they just shake their hands because they were complete agree one with another. So even between intellectual, it's hard to make the difference and to have different opinions. Of course, there are several examples of pro-humanitarian type of discourse among intellectuals also. But in general, there are also producers of nativist discourse. But of course, football fans are very much related to different far-right 
fractions. There are also not the political parties, but kind of youth organizations or movements with a very, very extreme and far orientation. Some of them are organizing annually something called Walk of March. It's a torch march held in the memory of a general from the Second World War related to the pro-fascist government and organizations. And this event is held in the city center of Sofia for like, I think, already 20 years. And of course, the foreign embassies, the NGOs, the humanitarian organizations, Jewish organizations and other type of fetters are trying to convince Bulgarian institutions to forbidden it, but it's still happening somehow. So finally, what is the greatest misunderstanding you think about migration and populism in Bulgaria? I'm not really sure I can speak about misunderstanding because I'm not sure the Bulgarian case is quite well known and quite well researched both abroad and in Bulgaria. So very few researchers in Bulgaria work on migration issues. So I prefer not to speak about misunderstanding, but maybe to make a wish. And I hope that more colleagues will start to study migration and populism in the coming months and years. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ildiko. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Kaz. You can follow Ildiko Otova on Twitter at Otova Ildiko, and you can buy her book written with Evelina Stajkova called Migration and Populism in Bulgaria at or through your independent bookstore. Thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Gonads with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall. I want to thank Jack Fernandez for helping me with the editing. And I'm your host, Kas Mudde. If you like the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I see him down the dunker, playing with his beard. No wonder that that's Captain Tau turned out a little weird.